Welcome to Fire Your Therapist, a podcast with a radical perspective on mental health. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Dan. Welcome to Fire Your Therapist. On this episode, we're going to talk about how well educated we all are. Well, what are you going to talk about? Oh, are you implying I'm not educated? Don't embarrass me in front of our guest. Maybe we can introduce our guest and then you can read us your credentials. Well, today we are lucky enough to have Tanya joining us. She sent us an email and wanted to chat about education. So we thought that's a great opportunity to have an episode and talk about education, which we will have that discussion in a moment. But first, <clears throat> after I earned my uh, very prestigious uh, AA at uh, the Santa Monica Community College, I, uh, I then moved on to the uh, University of California, Los Angeles, and completed my <laughs> bachelor's degree in cognitive psychology. That's disgusting. You think the, the prestigious University of Santa Monica can beat my Shasta Community College of Northern California, where I received my degree in university studies, which is a fancy way to say general education. <laughs> So is that like, for, for Northern California, is that like you can write your name and count to ten? Ha. Ha. <laughs> In all seriousness, we can't, we can't list all of our very many amazing credentials on this show because um, I would embarrass Dan, but... <laughs> well, thank, thank you for protecting me. Uh, Introduce the show. Tanya. Yes? Where did, where did you go to school? I went to, wait for it. I'm on pins and needles. CSUN. Ah, it's always sunny at CSUN. Excellent. Everybody's disposition, sunny. All the students, sunny. All the grades, sunny. Which I was informed afterwards that apparently the sunny CSUN inflates grades. So all those A's, not really A's. <laughs> That's really quite scandalous to hear such thing about the prestigious California State University, Northridge. Sadly, I, I hold in my pocket that I was accepted at UCLA for both my bachelor's after I went to community college for an extended period of time and for my master's. And I hold it in my pocket just in case I'm feel the need or feel like, uh, oh, I need to represent myself better. This is more of an elitist crowd. So at least I could say, well, I was accepted and I chose not to go to UCLA. Not once, but twice. How humble of you. <laughs> I, love the, I love the bashful flutter of the eyes. It's just crazy. This is actually this is actually completely relevant <laughs> and a great. It's a good start. Segue for <laughs> I know. elitism. Yeah, it really is. Is that what we're talking about? I think we sort of are talking about that this episode. Yeah. But um, we should probably introduce the show and check in. We're actually going to talk about education today. Dan, you weren't lying. We're going to talk about how to get educated, and we're going to talk about some relational things. 
And um, Tanya, you'd asked me some questions. I'm mm. in the education field. You're in the education field. And we were just talking about it. And we thought, well, Dan may as well be there as well. So he's here. <laughs> so if you hear from him this episode, you're lucky because um, we are sharing a mic. So I may hog it, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, does anybody need to check in? I will check in quickly but it doesn't need to be first. I certainly will not check in first. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go ahead and check in then. Uh, so I'm very hot. I, I mean the physical sensation of temperature. I'm, I'm not touting my physical appearance. Um, uh, but it's warm in here. But it might also be because I'm very excited to have a guest on the show. This is something we've wanted for a long time, to have guests on the show, so it's great to have you here. Thank you. Um, I guess I should also check in with that I, um, you know, having not worked in the education field, I don't know what I'll have to contribute to this conversation. I'll think of something. Well, you have your credentials. I have my credentials. This is true. This is true. This is a show where we all pretend that we know everything about everything, isn't it? So I'm sure you'll have lots to say, Dan. <laughs> we don't go based on experience. We go based on all of the things we've learned from books. Right? No. That's what I, counts. I didn't read any books. <laughs> I know. Uh, you can pretend like you did. <laughs> I, I'm just going to check in with how I probably have a million things to say on this topic. So I'm going to try to not talk forever. Um, but if anybody listening has, has further questions about what Tanya's speaking about or what I'm talking about or what um, insane things Dan might come up with, please send us an email and we'll do a follow-up show. Uh, that's all my check-in. I don't know if you have anything. We are, you're also welcome to pass if you have nothing to check in with. We allow it. No, I'm ready, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go. I think one uh, creative place where we could start mm-hmm. is... Tanya, if you'd like to share what piqued your interest to reaching out to Carrie and starting this conversation. Well, I had listened to Fire Your Therapist, and I liked the podcast. And through the podcast, I I, I heard Carrie, and um, you, I think that you had revealed in one of them that you work with that you work with. Uh, some students that have developmental disabilities and that's part of I do some work with students who have developmental disabilities as well so I became really interested given that you and I have uh, a common background in terms of um, some training in relational gestalt Mm -hmm. of how you're able to how you bring that to students and um, just your experience in education in general and um, I was really curious because uh, I'm 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 always looking to do the best I can to benefit students directly and then to make an impact in the system that's positive for everybody, but really mostly positive for students, but not students as students, but students as actual real little people. <laughs> what you mean? They're not just there to learn and move on. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> That's great. I actually wanted to talk about this topic for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I felt a little bit like um, my work in the, in the field of education is so next to what I do when it comes to therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that it's very integrative and, 
everything that I do every day is drenched in relational uh, theory. I don't always do the best of <laughs> embodying it and, and, you know, doing it correctly, you know. But um, I know that it's very intertwined in at least my, the value system that I hold when I, when I work mm-hmm. with kids. Um, in an educational setting, I mean, it's very like educational slash therapy based. Um, when you're working with any kid, you know, whether they have slowly emerging skills or not, it's always yeah. got a, a whole chunk of therapy in it. Um, if you have a background like we do. So I've wanted to talk about it for a long time. I, I was going to work in a school setting a long time ago when I was doing my internship and I mm-hmm. decided, I decided to go to the relational center instead. Um, so it was, it was a very different experience, but I'm really glad that I did go to the Relational Center. Yeah. But I, I, I missed out on doing what you do in a school. But what I, I did mm-hmm. participate therapeutically in schools by being a shadow or working with, with teachers and, um, or working with kids that were in systems. Yeah. Um, but I've transitioned to the private school realm a while ago, maybe three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have a variety of experiences, but... Um, yeah. I'm really interested in when you were talking about hoping to change the systems. Yeah. I don't know if there's a lot of that that you'd want to talk about here, but anything that you'd be willing to share, I know it would be really interesting. Well, I just, I feel like, uh, because I don't have places really to have these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. I don't, they just don't emerge organically, at least not, not typically in my experience. But I feel like there's this, I have this disparate level of, like I have this desire just because it matches my values to have schools because I work in special education. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time providing service to students and providing support to teachers who need help, whether or not that's within special education or general education. And I actually really enjoy that part of my job. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy the part of my job where I have to turn a student into a case and create a label for the student. I just think that that's, I I, I think that that is unfair. And I think that it it really, it informs, I think sort of depending on the person and depending on the people Mm -hmm. who are, in the system at the time, the student, the student's parents, the teacher, the administrators, the, the climate of that school, uh, sometimes it's like the teacher decides to, um, and typically I think this happens sort of like under the teacher's radar even, make the student decide that the least common denominator for the student is their special education eligibility and to relate to everything the student wow. does, does through that lens. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it doesn't matter to some teachers and sometimes students are especially sensitive to it and they, they change the way they relate to, to themselves in a way where they feel like they're the problem. Right. And that's both of those, but in particular the students, when they begin to sort of relate to themselves either by proxy of the fact that they are in special education and they need additional services, um, at school to mm-hmm. be involved in the curriculum or um, the relationships that they have aren't supportive. They just, they begin to define themselves just by that label. Absolutely. I, 
that's heartbreaking. It is. I have a, an experience that's kind of tied to what you're saying. I'm just going to riff for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember shadowing a student when he was very young, um, four or five in school, mm-hmm. and followed him up through when he was going to be going into first grade or s- second grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think first. And I remember very specifically my supervisor at the time, she was explaining how we'll want to sort of step back and take a backseat role because the kids are getting to an age. I mean, this is kindergarten, first grade, right? The kids are getting into an age where they're going to start understanding that you're here just for him. Mm-hmm. He's going to start to stick out more. Yeah. And he could, you know, have some adverse yeah. reactions. Um and I remember how hard that was for, you know, for, for me because when I would want to step in and give support, um, even though I gave, her, you know, just enough, mm-hmm. just enough that he needed, but not, not too much that he couldn't kind of let his skills come out. Right. Um, it was hard because, and the hardest part wasn't stepping away from him because, you know, I'm doing my job if he's able to start to kind of work on his own. Yeah. But the hard part was accepting that kids were going to start to single him out. Yeah, I don't know if that's speaking to what you're saying, uh, it, it, where the, that label becomes everything. Yeah. But the, when they're discovering their identities and their youth, it's yeah, it's a really strong factor. Yeah, that's 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 part of it. And the other side of the coin is that okay. So like, let's say this little hypothetically, this little kiddo needs additional support, and for whatever reason, most of the other kids in the class don't need additional support. It's it's um that's a lie. The fact of the matter is that the other kids in the classroom already have additional support. It's just that the existing supports they have, both internal supports and external supports, are adequate and wow. invisible to everyone else. So just just the fact that and it makes it appear as though they're doing this on their own. Right, and that this is, is like, so true. This, and this happens, and this is just reinforced and reinforced and reinforced, <sighs> I think, so intensely through the educational system. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge problem. Um, it's a huge, huge problem because we grow up thinking, well, what, not identifying the supports that are present and not appreciating the supports that are present and expecting that we did all this, no matter what this is, on our own. Absolutely. You're, I love what you're saying about the, the supports are there, but you can't see it in the school setting mm-hmm. for some of the kids. They're at home, or they're in their mm-hmm. history, or they're in their neighborhood, or like whatever, whatever supports that a child needs. If they're in place, then of course it's not going to manifest at school. That right. their, their needs won't manifest. But for the kids that do, then they just become this outcast. Yeah. And and they're like you said, they're all receiving some sort of support. It's just whether or not it's it's on display for all the other students to see or not. Yeah. Um but I know Dan wants to say something. Before you do, I my I, I want to be really clear about the work that I do is to work with um with children that appear to have a lot of support because they mm-hmm. may be financially well off, you know, working in a private school mm-hmm. sort of setting. Um but you know, sometimes other supports are lacking. Like when we're making a lot of money, then sometimes we're, we're at work a lot as, mm-hmm. as parents, and so we're not at home with our kids. So then we do need to get someone in there to take care of the education. So sometimes that's me or someone that I, one of my colleagues that I work with. Mm-hmm. But um, 
it's interesting because also in the private school atmosphere, so much is kept confidential. So then there's also that benefit of my, my kids getting all the support they need. And it's yeah. surprising how much support some kids will get and no one will ever know it. Yeah. And they will actually identify with the child at school that so let's say I'm the child who has, you know, a math tutor and a Spanish tutor and calculus tutor and foreign language tutor and everything mm-hmm. at home. And then I go to school and there's the child who's, who has a shadow mm-hmm. and I'm uncomfortable that I have so many tutors at home because it makes me feel like I'm stupid and that I need so much help and why can't I just mm-hmm. figure this out? So I go to school and I and I project onto the child who has a shadow there because I'm seeing myself in them and I'm embarrassed. Yeah. And then it's so much more complex. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I'm really appreciating this um, acknowledging of invisible supports. Uh, I sort of... I keep in my back pocket in any work that I do that I'm always sort of secretly looking for opportunities to point out um, privilege and marginalization and class and um, how so many of these things we try to pretend are invisible mm-hmm. and that it comes down to like personal accountability and hard work and mm-hmm. uh, and it's just a lie. And I think, you know, I'm speaking from experiences that aren't working in education but from the way you're describing it, I can only imagine that in those cases where supports are invisible, and even more so in the cases where um, a kiddo mm-hmm. doesn't have those invisible supports, mm-hmm. uh, that the kids in both cases either get given credit or given blame for mm-hmm. their performance as if it was all them. Yeah. And this is something you see, I see this in any work I do organizational consulting, counseling, whatever. People assume that how someone shows up is them. Yeah, It's their intention, it's what they're capable of, and they don't stop to realize that um, there's a whole world, there's a whole context of supports behind that person, or a whole context of the absence of supports. Yeah, And supports is an ambiguous word that we use a lot, but I'm talking about everything from friends, family, money, uh, emotional regulation skills, yeah. uh, you know, you name it, it's part of the context of supports. And if someone doesn't have those uh, and they're compared to kids, adults, anywhere, they're compared to others that do and that's not made explicit, it's right. uh, it's it's unjust in my opinion. I totally agree. That's, uh, I have huge problems with that. I have like such an appreciation for uh, Temple Grandin's eloquence around how when she was young I think I think particularly Temple in, in my understanding of what she said and in, in listening to her and knowing a little bit about her story I actually haven't read her book but I've heard her speak several times that because um, so little was known about autism at that point in time and it was sort of like a mm-hmm. like a terminal illness yeah like kind of like being HIV positive was at the beginning of like in the early eighties, it was like, okay, well this is a death sentence or like, this is it. Like you're going to be essentially nonverbal and whether or not you are, it's You're going to appear as though you're mentally retarded and you're going to appear as though, because you can't express, we're so, we're also verbal. You can't express what it is that you want. 
And then when you're dysregulated, which happens so easily, if you're having what essentially looks like a temper tantrum, it makes people afraid of you. But just how she said that she had some very direct supports, which supported her in... Um, which supported her in in doing what it is that she felt she wanted to do. So sort of following her own lead. And that is such a rare, rare thing. And I think that I think that really education is desperate for some kind of some kind of system, some kind of paradigm shift for sure, but exactly how it how it could be supported where kids are kids are encouraged to follow their own lead. I mean there's so much research about all the different intelligences, but education has absolutely well certainly full knowledge of this, but absolutely no respect for the fact that this is the case. There are many intelligences. And just because someone yeah. doesn't rise to the level of the intelligence that the educational system privileges doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're, that they're not smart. It doesn't, a lot of the time, if, if they're having a really rough time, let's say, and let's say for example, at home, um, they're under-supported there. Maybe parents aren't home, like in situations where you've discussed, but there actually isn't additional supports put in place for parents' absence because mm-hmm. you're at with, with a private school. Most of the students are from affluent families, I have to imagine. Yeah. Um, and all of this without any sort of ex- explicit explanation and identification that there are all of these invisible things happening kids' worlds are super small, and kids take responsibility for it. They think it's them. And like I, I'm back to the heartbreaking part. It really, it really breaks my heart. And when they take that on, the world responds to them with validation. Oh, yes, this is you. Mm-hmm. So like it's, it's confirmed for them at such an early age. Yeah. But sometimes it's, uh, it very is, by and large. But, but sometimes... If you get the right teacher, if you get the right, say, let's say they have a service provider of some sort, service provider, these kind of things begin to either on purpose or on accident, either the structures in place which are limiting the child and pointing to the child as though the child is a problem, begin to be illuminated explicitly or just the relationship is developed and supportive enough for the child that that they begin to see that, okay, well, this relationship here that I'm having right here and right now does not match my other relationships. So, and I don't think this happens above board. I don't think this happens, a child knows this is happening, but implicitly it's like, okay, well, I can't actually be all of these things that I feel I am for how I'm treated both in school and or with peers and or at home because this other relationship doesn't match. So it can't just be me. Well, it's such a safety issue for them. It's like saying um, if you have someone who's a member of a gang and and it's not a safe place to show emotions ever and then you go to Mm -hmm. therapy once a week and you're practicing empathy and relating and um, being very transparent about what's going on with you, you can't 
you can't take that back to that system because kids are so smart. They know. Yeah. They know the repercussion and they um, they see the risk and they're not going to take it. Yeah. Because, oh, wow, uh, schools can be so, so hard. I mean, I have my own experiences, I'm sure we all do, of um, risk-taking when it comes to emotions. And yeah. it's just, it's not possible. But I was, um, I was thinking as you were saying that about the heartbreaking part. So you see this child within the system and you see all of the things acting on them and them being so young and powerless to really do much about it. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is <laughs> just what's going through my head is how fortunate they are to see someone like you because just so that they can come into contact with you and, and feel something different when the whole world mm-hmm. is pod people <laughs> saying, yes, you're the problem. And, mm-hmm. um, we're going to diagnose you and there's this thing that's wrong with you and we need an IEP and we're mm-hmm. going to bring specialists in and therapists in and the kids I work with, they, they get neuropsych evaluations and mm-hmm. it's a whole world yeah. of, um, it's an army uh, of people. It's an army. And for a child in such, uh, I mean, very often kids have zero power. I think that mm-hmm. we're probably going to get into the portion of the show right before we end <laughs> where we talk about like, what, what can we do? You know, while we're on this topic, I think that since we have so many things to say, uh, we're going to split this into two episodes. So tune in and listen to how this conversation continues. Fire Your Therapist was produced by Yumi Media. Subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes or go to fireyourtherapistshow.com where you can find podcasts, resources, and more.